Open your Bibles, the book of Acts, chapter number 20. We're thankful for each of you that are in the service tonight. And I, like Dr. Bloom, find it very difficult to believe that uh, if the Lord should stay is coming, tomorrow night will be the last night of our winter revival meeting. And so let me just uh, encourage you to be back in the service tomorrow night and to do your best to bring someone with you. I so appreciate uh, the family that sang a moment ago in the choir and all of the special music, in my opinion, has set the stage for the preaching of the Word of God. I'm blessed to have an evangelist, Brother Mike uh, Pelletier, uh, with us. Thank you, sir, for coming. I look forward to meeting you officially after the service. And I always appreciate those that I get to uh, share the revival road with. And so thank you, preacher, for being in the service tonight. Book of Acts, chapter 20, and I'll begin reading with verse number 36 through verse number 38. And I would invite you to stand with me as I read the Word of God. <coughs> Book of uh, Acts, chapter 20, beginning with verse number 36 through uh, verse number 38. Now tonight, I really don't want to... Uh, preach to you. I really don't want to do that. I just want us to imagine that uh, it's after the service and we're uh, seated on the front row and just you and I are having a personal and private conversation. Now, I don't mean a word of that. I'm going to preach. I just wondered how that would sound if I ever said it. <laughs> Acts chapter number 20, beginning with verse number 36 through verse number 38. I'm glad that in that word, fundamental, is the word fun. If what you have makes you a grump, if what you have makes you a grouch, then you ought to switch up and get what many of us have that causes us to be on the hallelujah side. I said that, uh, Brother Carpenter, in a meeting. I said, I'm glad that in the word, fundamental, is the word fun. And after the service, a lady came to the book table and she said, Dr. Hamlin, you're right. You're absolutely right. In that word, fundamental, is the word fun and the word mental. <laughs> to which I replied, that's the reason we have so much fun, we're mental. Oh, it was my hero, Billy Sunday, who said, if there's no joy in your Christianity, then there's a, real, then there's a leak there's a leak in your religion somewhere. And if what you have again makes you hard to live with, if what you have uh, makes you just absolutely uh, impossible nearly to go to church with, if the only way we could get you to smile is to stand you on your head because you frown all the time, think about that, I'll let you catch up, then you ought to switch up at the altar tonight and get what many of us have that cause us to not endure our salvation and endure our service, but to enjoy our salvation and our service. Acts chapter 20, verses 36 and 38, and 37, 36 through 38. And when he had thus spoken, he kneeled down and prayed with them all, and they all wept sore and fell on Paul's neck and kissed him, sorrowing most of all for the words which he spake. 
that they should see his face no more. And they accompanied him unto the ship. Please look back with me at verse number 38. Book of Acts chapter 20 and verse number 38. Sorrowing most of all for the words which he spake, that they should see his face no more, and they accompanied him unto the ship. A little phrase in this verse that I would call your attention to. I've underlined it in my Bible. You may want to underscore it in yours, and it's the phrase that they should see his face no more. You see it. There it is, that they should see his face no more. And for a few moments, I want to speak to you on the subject tonight, some things you'd better learn to say goodbye to. <laughs> Let's bow our heads for a word of prayer. Heavenly Father, I want to thank you for this privilege to stand behind a sacred desk to preach the Word of God. If I know my heart, I want to be a blessing. But the only way that I can be is if you hide me behind the cross and fill me with the Spirit. Place a hedge around this great church by the blood of Christ to keep the devil and his demons from hindering this service. Save the sinner and stir the saint. Heavenly Father, for all that you'll do in our midst and even in our hearts tonight, we will be careful to give you all the praise and honor and glory. Bless and protect my precious family as I'm away. Give us fresh warm bread from the oven of heaven to feed from tonight. And Lord, I'd request, oh, how I would request that you'd clothe me in my calling. For we ask these things in Jesus' name and for his sake. Amen. Amen. You may be seated. Life is a continuous circle of hellos and goodbyes. This is certainly true in the believer's life and labor for the lovely Lord Jesus Christ. Far too many of God's good children haven't learned that it's not just better, but even also biblical to have there a full stop, no further discussion, and even a closed door to certain incidents and individuals. The blessed Christian knows who, what, when, and where to wave bye-bye. Some things you better learn to say goodbye to. In the book of Acts chapter 20, we find the Apostle Paul's journey toward Jerusalem. Now this chapter could be easily or effortlessly uh, outlined like this. Paul's faithful companions, verses 1 through 5. Paul's final communion, verses 6 through 12. 
Paul's foolish concern, verses 13 through 17, and then uh, Paul's farewell comments, verses 10 through uh, 38. It is well the physician Luke is dealing under the direct inspiration of the Holy Spirit with Paul's farewell comments that a person learns Brother Paul knew, Dr. Bloom, the place and the point of time to basically say goodbye. Verse 38, <clears throat> sorrowing most of all for the words which he spake, that they should see his face no more, and they accompanied him, accompanied him unto the ship. One must couple verse 38 with verse 25, as the Moses of the New Testament said, and now, behold, I know that you all, among whom I have gone preaching the kingdom of God, shall see my face no more. Evangelist, uh, evangelist Oliver B. Green once wrote about our text, this was no missionary journey on which Paul was embarking. It was not another of his travels to revisit the young churches and eventually come again to Ephesus. He continues to write, this was their last goodbye to the man who had brought them light and life, and they understood that they would see him no, no more until <coughs> they should meet him in the world beyond for which he had helped them to prepare. And then he ties up his thought, Evangelist Oliver B. Green, by simply writing, for this farewell then they sorrowed most of all. Never forget, wise is the Christian who knows who, what, where, when, and even why to say bye-bye. If you miss everything that I preach tonight, I pray that you would not miss that, and it even bears repeating. Wise, wise, wise is the Christian who knows who, what, where, when, and even why <laughs> to say bye-bye. Friend, you and I, those of us up that are saved, must learn to say goodbye to some stuff. Now quickly tonight, there are five things. Either by lip, life, or letter, the Apostle Paul said farewell to that the believer must learn to say farewell to as well. Let's quickly notice it tonight. Some things uh, you'd better learn to say goodbye to. Number one, a checkered past. 1 Timothy 1.15, this is a faithful saying and worthy of all acceptation that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners of whom I am chief. A thing uh, that the Apostle Paul said farewell to in his day that the believer needs to learn to say farewell to in, their, in our day is a checkered past. In 1 Timothy 1.15, Brother Paul tells us that the lovely Lord Jesus Christ came to this earth on a search and rescue mission for sinners, and he was the biggest and baddest one of them all. A person must note that not in this verse or in any 
of the 13 Pauline epistles, does he ever not even one time give the depth or detail of his depravity before his conversion on the dusty road to Damascus. Notice he states that he was least of the apostles in A.D. 57, 1 Corinthians 15, 9. The least of all saints in A.D. 60, Ephesians 3, 8. And now he shares in A.D. 64 uh, that he was the chief of all sinners, 1 Timothy 1, 15. While the most godly of saints uh, are always mindful of their sinful history, uh, they still don't make the church in the world step into a time machine uh, to take frequent uh, uh, visits uh, and frequent trips uh, to their B.C. before Christ days. The songwriter was spot on when he sang, you ask me why I'm happy, so I'll just tell you why. Because my sins are gone. And when I meet the scoffers who ask me where they are, I say, my sins are gone. They're underneath the blood on the cross of Calvary, as far removed as darkness is from dawn. In the sea of God's forgetfulness, that's good enough for me. Praise God, my sins are gone. Uh, by the way, if that's beneath uh, your choir's uh, dignity to sing or beneath your choir director's dignity to lead, then what I would do is I'd pray for that choir and I'd pray for that choir director to have laryngitis about 52 Sundays a year. Oh, friend, you and I need to learn to say goodbye to some things and something that we need to learn to say goodbye to is a checkered past. The Bible says in Micah 7, 19, he will turn again. He will have compassion upon us. He will subdue our iniquities and thou will cast all their sins into the depths of the sea. One day, a new convert visited a minister in his home. He sat quietly in the man of God's study. He began to read one of the books from the bookcase. While reading Dr. Bloom, he suddenly cried, Glory, praise the Lord, and amen. The minister ran into the study asking, What's the matter? The visitor replied, This book says that the sea is five miles deep. Well, what of it, asked the preacher. Well, my Bible, the new convert said, says my sins have been cast into the depths of the sea. And if it's that deep, then I'm not afraid of them coming up again. So glory, exclaimed the radiant Christian. Man, I'm here to tell you tonight that there's some things that you and I better learn to say goodbye to. And a thing we better learn to say goodbye to is a checkered past. Number two, let me hasten, and I know I'm going to get stuck here. Number two, a critical person. Galatians 5, 7, he did run well. Who did hinder you that ye should not obey the truth? A thing that the apostle Paul said farewell to in his day, that the believer needs to learn to do the same in our day, is a critical person. In Galatians 5, 7, uh, Brother Paul tells us it was never a what, 
but always the who that will either slow down or entirely, oh my, stop your spiritual race. Well, I'm very mindful that it was, of course, the Judaizers, false apostles and legalists. Paul is mainly dealing with here. You only have to go around the block once, spiritually speaking, to understand that your biggest hindrance uh, to doing something for God and good are those what I call spiritual armchair quarterbacks. Say amen right there. Put this down in your notebook. The moon could not go on shining if it paid any attention to the little dogs that barked at it. Friend, you and I must learn to say goodbye just like the Apostle Paul to a critical person. Now, there are several things that will there draw the strong criticism to the serious Christian. And when I say serious Christian, Dr. Bloom, I'm not talking about someone who hits and misses and really misses more than they hit. I'm not talking about uh, what uh, we used to call when I first got saved and called to preach uh, CEO church members. You say, what's a CEO church member? Christmas and Easter only. I'm not talking about those that the only time that you ever see them is when there's the annual church business meeting. Uh, and between uh, that business meeting and the next business meeting, well, the FBI couldn't find them. The CIA couldn't find them. Uh, the Royal Canadian Mounted Police couldn't find them. Scotland Yard couldn't find them. Um, the mall police couldn't find them. I'm not talking about that crowd. Say, I feel a preaching storm getting ready to break in here tonight. Really, I do. I'm not talking about that crowd, but if you're serious about serving God, then you're going to be having someone criticize you. And there's several things that there will draw the criticism to a serious Christian. First of all, your work. Nehemiah 4.1. It came to pass that when Sambalat heard that we builded the wall, he was wroth and took great indignation and mocked the Jews, a thing that will draw the criticism of a, a serious Christian is your work. It is never slothfulness, but blood, sweat, and tears that is a magnet to rotten tomatoes. Your work. Can you imagine all the years Dr. and Mrs. Bloom have been here that they've been criticized not because they're lazy, but because they labor. And it should serve an example to every one of us that if you do something for God, uh, if you do something for the master, if you do something uh, for uh, Jesus, like it, lump it, bump it, jump it, take it across the street and dump it, you're going to be criticized. Your work. Secondly, you're welcome. Luke 15, 30, thou hast killed for him the fatted calf. A thing that will draw the strong criticism to the serious Christian is your welcome. It's 98% over the heavenly Father's favor that some have disfavor for another child of God. Let me say that again. 
it's 98% over the heavenly Father's favor that some have disfavor with another child of God. You know what's going to draw strong criticism to the serious Christian? You're welcome. Let me try to illustrate. Brother Carpenter, years ago, there was a church that I would preach in every year, would preach revival meetings, would preach mission conferences, would preach uh, uh, anniversaries. In fact, my fellow evangelist brother, you know what it's like. This church, they would even bring me in when they got a new flannel graph board to preach the dedication of it. <laughs> preach there all the time. One year they took us on for monthly support and supported us, Dr. Bloom, for, for many, many, many years. And then one afternoon the pastor called and he said, Dr. Hamlin, he said, I'm just letting you know that we're dropping your support. I said, my brother, thank you. Thank you for all the years that you've supported our ministry. Thank you for all the years you've prayed for Mrs. Hamlin and I and for our family. Thank you for all the years. I mean, it's just been uh, timely and it's always come, uh, the support, the financial support. And I just want to say thank you. Uh, and uh, in a couple days, uh, you'll get a formal letter from me that you can either post or you can read from the pulpit, just a formal letter thanking you again in your church uh, for how good you've been to us. He said, would you like to know why we're dropping your support? To which I replied, no. I said, thank you for all the years you prayed for us. Thank you for all the years that you held our family up to God. Thank you for all the years that that financial support has always come and it's always been timely. And again, I want to say thank you. He said, but don't you want to know why we're dropping your support? And again, I said, no. He circled the field and tried one more time. He said, but you must be curious. You must want to know. You must have an interest on why we're no longer supporting you. And I said, my brother, one more time, I want to thank you for how kind you've been to us and you've been better to us than we deserve. And man, I appreciate it and thank you so much. And as I've already said, there'll be a formal letter in the mail that you can either read or post uh, or make a paper airplane out of it, light it on fire, throw it from the pulpit, whatever you want to do. But I want to thank, that's funnier than you're letting on. I want to thank you for how you've supported us all these years. He said, I got to tell you why we're driving and your support for the roads. He said, because you're successful. I said, excuse me? If I'm lying, I'm frying. He said, Brother Evangelist, because you're successful. And he said, we've just had a policy at our church that we only support those that aren't successful. And when a ministry becomes successful, we stop supporting it. I said, my brother, one more time, thank you for all that support. But I've got to add a little caveat and tell you, I'm not apologizing. I'm not apologizing. I'm not apologizing for God's blessing, God's favor, God's benefit for anybody. Whoop! Goes right there. You know why you're going to draw strong criticism? If you're a serious Christian, you're welcome. You're welcome. You're welcome. 
And friend, never apologize for the blessing of God. Never apologize for the favor of God. Never apologize for the benefit of God. Hey, you don't have to be a loser to have another loser as a friend. And all God's sweet little children said, ouch, that's what they said. They said, ouch. <laughs> Thank you. God bless you. Audience participation. You're welcome. Don't apologize when God blesses you. It's interesting to me. Uh, you, you get something new, and it's a blessing. And I get something new, and it's materialism. How does that work? If it's good for the goose, it's good for the gander. And what will draw criticism to the serious Christian, what will draw strong criticism to the serious Christian is your welcome. Man, I've never gotten to the place where I think I deserve the blessings of God. And I'm not going to apologize when God blesses me. I'm not going to say, no, God, take it back. Hello. I'm not going to say, no, God, I don't think you should have done that. No, sir, no, ma'am. And neither should you. And something that's going to draw the strong criticism uh, to uh, the serious Christian is uh, your welcome. I I'd hasten, but some of you look like you got the coronavirus. Let me hasten. <laughs> not only, not only your work and your welcome, uh, but thirdly, your worship. 2 Samuel 6, 16, And as the ark of the Lord came unto the city of David, Michael, Saul's daughter, looked through a window and saw King David leaping and dancing before the Lord, and she despised him in her heart. You see, a thing that will draw strong criticism to the serious Christian is your worship. Uh, get happy and holler hallelujah. And whoever almost has a heart attack over it, I want you to know they're on the front of the line of those uh, who are wrongly critical of you. <laughs> That's why it's a good idea every once in a while to just shout. And see who doesn't like it. That's why it's a good idea when the choir is singing to raise your hand. We won't think you're asking permission to use the bathroom. To raise your hand and praise. Nothing wrong with that. What do you think we're going to do in heaven? This is the quietest world you'll ever live in as a Christian. And really, it's the quietest world you'll ever live in as an unbeliever. In heaven, they're shouting. In heaven, they're rejoicing. In heaven, they're praising the Lord. And it would do you well if every once in a while you just went ahead and said, Amen, uh, praise the Lord, hallelujah, and see who has a problem with it. <laughs> and they'll be at the front of the line of those who are critical. I was preaching a meeting in Avondale, Arizona many years ago. I slipped in after the choir was already singing. And I sat towards the back and my dear mother happened to be with me in that meeting. And she'll be 85 this month. But I thank God for the godly mother that God's blessed me with. I was preaching the other night, Dr. Bloom, and I 
said, if I ever backslide and get a tattoo, it's the only way a Christian could get a tattoo is if they backslide. Amen. I was preaching the other night. I was in the white heat of preaching, whether in the body, out of the body, I cannot tell. And man, I was in the white heat of preaching. And I said, if I ever get a tattoo, it's going to be on my bicep. It's going to be a heart. And it's going to say, Mom. <laughs> man, Mrs. Hamlin was with me, my wife. And we went out to eat with the preacher and we got back to the motel room and I opened the door and let her go in first and then I came in and when I turned around after closing the door and locking it, she had her fist on her hip and every married man in the house knows the power of that move. <laughs> and she said, if you ever backslide and get a tattoo, it better say carry on it and not mom. <laughs> to which I replied, yes, ma'am. Yes, ma'am. My mother loves the Lord. You can't preach too hard for my mom. If my mom was in this service and I were to pick up the pulpit and park it in her lap, she'd say, hmm, I didn't know I was at ladies' Bible study. Can't preach too hard for my mom. She loves the Lord. Mrs. Bloom, I've seen her shout during announcements. And you got to be spiritual to shout during announcements because I personally hate announcements. <laughs> Better quit meddling and go back to preaching. <laughs> but man, she loves the Lord. I don't know anybody that gives to the work of God like she does. She's a prayer warrior. And she had gotten to the service before me. We drove separately that night and she was already in the service and I slipped in. Choir was singing. And she was towards the front, and the choir was, choir was singing, and she was enjoying herself. She praised the Lord. By the way, have you ever done that? Let's try it. Can we try it tonight? Put one hand in your hair, in the air. Just one, just one. Some of you are getting ahead of the game. Just one. And just wave. Just wave. Up in the sound booth, that's a bachelor pad up there. I'm talking to you fellows too. Come on now. Some <laughs> guys watching ESPN 1, 2, and 3. I got a popcorn machine up there and a lava lamp. All right, now, now try the other hand. Come on now, everybody. Everybody. Sir, I'm talking about you over there. Just because you're sitting in that wing don't mean I'm leaving you out. Come on now. Come on now. There you go. Guess what? We're going to do that in heaven. We're going to do that in heaven. It doesn't bother me how loud you shout, how far you run, how high you jump, just as long as you speak in English while you're doing it. Amen. And every once in a while, you just ought to go ahead and shout and see who doesn't like it. Amen. <laughs> so I started to tell you about my mom. The choir was singing. I'd slipped in. She was a couple rows in front of me, and between her and I was this husband and wife. And that choir, I mean, they hit the first note, and, and I forget now what it was. It might have been the song the choir sang tonight, but they hit that first note, and man, I mean, it tripped my mother's trigger, and, and she, she was praising the Lord. And I watched that couple who did not know that uh, her son was behind them. I, I watched them poke one another, point at my mother, and giggle. 
what do you think we're going to do in heaven? You think we're going to go over in a corner and play Parcheesi? I've got a sneaking suspicion. If I understand that King James Bible right, if I understand that King James Bible right, if I understand that King James Bible right, we're going to shout in heaven. That's what we're going to do. And I thought to myself, I didn't see what I just saw. And so choir hit that first chorus, first stanza, first line. And my mom shouted again. And I watched that couple poke one another and point and giggle. I thought to myself, okay, if you're going to laugh at that, I'll really give you something to laugh at. I won't tell you exactly what I did. But they say you cannot stand on a piano and shout, but I beg to differ. <laughs> I beg to differ. You, you, want, you want to get criticized? You, you want to see who's at the head of the line of those who are hypercritical? You just worship the Lord. David was praising God, and the criticism he got came from his own family. But David kept praising the Lord. David kept rejoicing. David kept shouting, and oh, listen, friend, uh, uh, what will draw the serious criticism, the strong criticism uh, of a serious Christian? Well, it's going to be your work, and it's going to be uh, your uh, welcome, uh, and it's going to be your worship. The very last time that the great evangelist, Dr. B.R. Lakin, was preaching in the state of Michigan, I was a 17-year-old new convert, and had just been called to preach. I can't tell it for crying. When Dr. Lakin found out that I'd just been saved and I'd just been called to preach, he literally rearranged for the carpenter the seating at the table. This would be his last time that he'd be in the state of Michigan before he graduated to glory. And for one solid hour, uh, that war horse of the faith was in my ear, and he made seven statements to me. And one of the things he said I'll never forget, he said, John, if you won't, don't want to be criticized, don't have anything, don't know anything, don't do anything, and you won't be criticized. And I'm preaching to some people in this service and watching by way of internet and listening by radio that need to learn to say goodbye to a critical person. Number three, a comfortable position. 2 Corinthians 11, 28, beside those things that are without and that which cometh upon me daily, the care of all the churches, a thing that the Apostle Paul said farewell to in his day, that the believer needs to learn to do the same. Uh, in our day, there's a comfortable position. In 2 Corinthians 11, 28, Brother Paul tells us uh, that the gospel ministry isn't a nine-to-five profession with a three-hour lunch break in the middle of the day. The phrase... That which cometh upon me daily makes it abundantly clear that this is a 24-7 body, mind, and soul mindset, and that a CEO mantra won't work, not even for a New York second in the ministry. Friend, you and I must learn like the Apostle Paul to say goodbye to a comfortable position. The Bible says in Ephesians 4.12, for the work of the ministry. 
newsflash, the modern day little Lord Fonteroy should never entertain the thought of surrendering to preach. Selah. David Livingston went to the darkest part of Africa as a lone missionary. After some time, his mission committee wrote to him saying, some people would like to join you. What's the easiest road to get where you are? He immediately replied, if they're looking for the easiest road, tell them to stay in England. I want people who will come even if there's no road at all. A comfortable position. Dr. Bloom was so kind in his introduction tonight, so kind. And it led me to think about how that in these, this year be 43 years on the revival road, I've never asked what's the size of the church I've been invited to preach in. And I've never asked what's the amount of the love offering that I'm going to get. You know when I know the size of the church? When I show up. You know when I know the amount of the love offering? Brother Evangelist, you know what I'm talking about. When I'm seven miles from the church and pop the envelope open. Seven miles. Because if you travel and preach, you know the Bible says you can't look at the love offering until you're seven miles away. If you know the Bible, you know where that's at. So I won't even take the time because I know you know the Bible. I was preaching with my mentor, Dr. Tom Malone Sr. It was two nights in a Bible conference. He was with me one night. We drove to the meeting together. And it was in the dead of winter, somewhat like this time of the year. Both song leader after he and I had preached. He was in his early 90s. I said, Dr. Malone, I'll go get your vehicle. He had just got a brand new truck and insisted that we take it and I drive it. Beautiful. It's kind of like a Cadillac with a truck bed slammed on the back of it. Man, it was awesome. And he wanted me to drive it and for us to take it to that meeting. And so after we both preached, I said, Dr. Malone, I'll, I'll pull right up to the door. It's cold out there and, and you're wet from preaching and you don't need to be in that night air. And Dr. Bloom, I went ahead and got his truck and pulled it up right to the door. And he, he came out and had the heat running and he jumped in the vehicle. We pulled off. And Mr. Bloom, I said to my mentor, Dr. Tom Malone Sr., I said, Dr. Malone, did you get your L.O.? That's what he used to call love offerings. He called them L.O.'s. I said, did you get your L.O.? He said, 500. I said, excuse me? He said, 500. I said, I'm sorry. 500, he said. I said, Dr. Malone, I apologize. I'm not following you. He said, the L.O.'s 500. I said, how do you know it's $500? He said, what do you think I was doing in that bathroom just a minute ago? I said, Dr. Malone, I teach our students at Midwestern Baptist College that there's a seven-mile rule. You can't look at a love offering till you're seven miles from where you've preached. He smiled and said, John, I've never taken any of your classes. I didn't know that. <laughs> I said all that to say this. I didn't get in this to see what I could get out of it. I got in this to see what I could put into it. 
And I'm preaching to some people tonight and those watching by way of internet and listening by way of radio and maybe maybe decades from now listening on some listening device in the future that's archived. I'm here to tell you that there's something like the Apostle Paul we better learn to say goodbye to and it's a comfortable position. Dr. Bloom, as you and the principals interview teachers and workers, if anybody is sniffing around for what they're going to get out of it, I'm not talking about honest questions, good questions, right questions, but if they're looking for a parsonage, a pension, a pool, a picket fence, a pompadour, I don't know, move on to the next person. Amen? <laughs> Move on to the next person. You see, we, we need to say goodbye to a comfortable position. I've got to hasten. Would you look at our text? I never come to this part of the Bible. Ne- never do. Never do. But what I can smell the sea spray. But what I can... Uh, Hear the tide breaking on the dock. But what I can see in the theater of my mind is they all are on their knees and they fall on the Apostle Paul's neck and they they kiss him and they say goodbye. And he says goodbye too. See, there's some things we better learn to say goodbye to. A comfortable position. I mean, either by life or by lip or by letter. The Apostle Paul said goodbye uh, to these things. Uh, uh, number, number four, a compromising preacher. 2 Timothy 4.10, For Demas hath forsaken me, having loved this present world, and is departed unto Thessalonica, a thing that the Apostle Paul said farewell to in his day, that the believer needs to learn to do the same in our day, is a compromising preacher. In 2 Timothy 4.10, Brother Paul tells us that a preacher by the name of Demas became a casualty because of his capitulation with carnality. Friend, you and I must learn like the Apostle Paul to say goodbye to a compromising preacher. The Bible says in 1 Timothy 6, 21, which some professing have erred concerning the faith. The moment a man's ministry backs up, backs off, or backs away, from the right stand on his Bible, backbone, buddies, crowd that he runs with, or bedrock beliefs, you, child of God, better find the first exit because that ministry has taken the compromising course. Dr. Bloom, you'll remember it well. One year, the National Sword of the Lord Conference on revival and soul winning at the great Gospelite Baptist Church in Walkertown, North Carolina. It was a Wednesday night, and I had the privilege of preaching with one of my heroes, Dr. Bobby Robertson. And Dr. Bloom, you'll remember, as Dr. Robertson, while he was preaching, made this statement, and he said, I have more respect for a Catholic priest than a compromising Baptist preacher. 
some things we better learn to say goodbye to. A compromising preacher. And then number five, and last of all, my time is gone and I'm out like Rosie O'Donnell in a beauty contest. <laughs> oh, God wasn't in that, but it was hilarious. It, it really was. Not only, uh, not only uh, a checkered past and a critical person and a comfortable position and a compromising preacher, but number five and last of all, a condemned planet. 2 Thessalonians 2, 1, Now we beseech you, brethren, by the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ and by our gathering together unto Him, a thing that the Apostle Paul said farewell to in his day, that the believer needs to learn to do the same, to do the same in our day, is a condemned planet. In 2 Thessalonians 2, 1, Brother Paul tells us that before this present world, and its wicked system is placed by the carpenter on the trash heap of time and eternity. The lovely Lord Jesus Christ is going to lead a total, oh my, evacuation of blood-washed people from this earth. Again, evangelist Oliver B. Green once said about this spot in the Scriptures, so Paul points out that Jesus is coming and when He comes, the living saints will be gathered up into the clouds in the air to meet Him, along with the resurrected bodies of the saints who sleep in Him. If the saint presses their ear to any second coming verse in the Bible, they very well may hear when the trumpet of the Lord shall sound and time shall be no more, and the morning breaks eternal, bright, and fair, when the saved of earth shall gather over on the other shore, and when the roll is called up yonder, I'll be there. Friend, you and I must learn, like the Apostle Paul, to say goodbye to a condemned planet. The Bible says in 1 Thessalonians 4, 17, Then we which are alive and remain shall be caught up together to, with them uh, in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air, and so shall we ever be with the Lord. Breaking news as a believer, I am not waiting or looking for my ship to come in. I am looking and waiting for my Savior to come back. And then we'll say goodbye to a condemned planet. Would you look at our text? Acts 20 and 38, that they should see his face no more. When Sir Ernest Henry Shackleton, I'm closing with this, was driven back in his attempt to reach the South Pole, he was forced to leave some men on Elephant Island promising to come back for them. Time and again he tried, but he was unable to reach them. At last, although it was the wrong time of the year, he made another great attempt. An open channel formed uh, between the sea and where he had left his men. He rushed in his boat at risk of being nipped by the ice got his men and rushed out before the ice crushed together. It only took a half hour. Afterwards, he turned to one of the rescued men and said, How is it that you're able to come so quickly? The man answered, Sir, Mr. Wild, 
This would be Brother Shackleton's second in command. Mr. Wilde never let a chance to slip. You had promised to come and we were waiting for you. Whenever there was a chance of your coming, Mr. Wilde would say, boys, roll up your sleeping bags. The boss may be here today. And sir, our sleeping bags were rolled up and we were ready. Whoop goes right there. I've come to this pulpit to say to all those that are listening, either by internet, radio, or in this service, man, Jesus is coming back. Jesus is coming back. Jesus is coming back. And we better have our sleeping bags all rolled up and ready to go. A condemned planet. We've seen from the pages of the Bible tonight. Either by life, lip, or by letter. The things that the Apostle Paul said goodbye to, which are the very same things that you and I need to say goodbye to as well. Our heads are bowed, our eyes are closed.